Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic, the future. This is Cracking the Code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, a conversation with master collaborator Mark Tim. The Exponential Inc. CEO credits growing up on a family farm for his success in business. Because it teaches you three things, the value of a dollar, hard work, and responsibility. I definitely learned those three things as a young man working on the farm. When all my other friends were playing games and playing around, I was working hard with my family. Tim, a successful serial entrepreneur who started 15 businesses, including co-founding Top Performance Group Inc. with Kevin Harrington, believes his family is the most valuable business in the world. Where you really need to invest is the relationships that you have because those will transcend any of your different ventures or work activities and specifically investing in your family. Mark Tim's advice to business leaders, share credit for successes but take the blame for failures. You should represent the success of the team as the team's success and you're blessed to be the leader and you should take responsibility for the team's failure yourself and take ownership for your mistake and your role in leading that effort. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Aloha Mark and uh, welcome to the show Cracking the Code. I'm very privileged to and honored to have you as a guest on our show today. Thank you for coming to this show. It's my honor to be on the show. I've I'm, I'm been looking forward to it for a few days now, so I'm excited. We've known each other for a short time, but I'm, I'm very inspired by your life and what you do. If you can, for our audience, if you can take us back to your childhood a little bit and uh, give us a little background on how life started for you and how you've ended up uh, where you are today as a, as a thought leader in the world. Wow, that's a, that's a journey in and of itself, but I'll try my best to condense it down. I can tell you that I, I very proudly grew up uh, on a family farm. My, my parents, uh, my grandparents, everybody came from the farming community. And so I grew up on a family farm. And my father used to say that the fa family farm is the greatest learning institution in the world because it teaches you three things, the value of a dollar, hard work, and responsibility. And I definitely learned those three things as a young man working on the farm when all my other friends were playing games and and playing around, I was working hard with my family because that's how we, you know, made a living and that's how I developed the understanding of those three things. I can tell you that although there's been a lot of different steps along the way, that even today I would attribute a lot of my success to those three things, the value of a dollar, hard work and responsibility. So I guess my father knew what he was talking about and I'm really glad that I grew up that way. Sadly, none of my siblings or myself ended up continuing in farming. We all went different directions. My brother is a chemical engineer. I became an entrepreneur. Uh, my sister takes care of her family. So we left the family farm, but I'm very thankful for those roots. And it was actually because of an organization attached to agriculture called the Future Farmers of America. 
that I was actually given my first opportunity to really experience leadership. I was put in a position uh, where I was asked to lead. And at that point, I didn't even know I was a leader. But very quickly, it became obvious to those around me because they selected me as part of a natural selection to lead uh, a group of other teenagers. And at that point, really, I never looked back. I've, I've always been in a leadership position from that very first moment of being thrust into a leadership position. So I guess it, uh, it came very natural for me to lead. And as a result of that, I got to meet a lot of people because I served as an officer in that organization. I met the president of the United States, which was George Bush Sr. at that point in time. And I met a man by the name of Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar, I met personally, and he invited me to his home in Dallas uh, as a 19-year-old. And he planted a lot of seeds in me of motivation, inspiration, and those seeds really took root and have shaped and defined a lot of who I am today. And proudly, I get the chance to actually help in his legacy. He's passed away, but I help his children continue his legacy today. But I really took all that I learned from the family farm, through the FFA, through Zig Ziglar, and I applied all of that to my world as an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of that has contributed to multiple business successes and a lot of relationship success that has really put me on this phone call with you today. What an incredible journey, uh, Mark. It's, uh, it's quite inspirational to hear. If you can just expand for me a little bit, you know, you talked a little bit about your dad and, and what he taught you guys. I specifically want to know, I mean, what were your observations as you observed him as a leader growing up? You know, children are very ob- observing of their parents. What were some of those lessons in leadership that uh, you observed from him? I'm going to expand my father. My father was a, a great man, but I was very fortunate, uh, Sadir, to also have my grandfather and my great-grandfather. I had three men in my life that I really looked to and learned from, and every summer I would actually go spend an entire week with my great-grandfather, then I would go to my grandfather, and then obviously I learned from my father. And clearly I learned from all three of them the value of hard work. They were all hardworking men. But beyond that hard work, when I would talk to them and speak to them, they spoke to me about things that, quite frankly, at the time I don't think I fully understood, but I... I understand so much more now, and that that was the beginning of me learning on what it likes it's like to be a leader. That that leading happens more by example than it necessarily does by what you say. It's your actions speak louder than your words. And they also spoke to me a lot about relationships and how you know that I, my great grandfather told me one time that. The relationships that I form in my life will actually be the only true assets that I take with me to the end of my life. And I didn't really understand that fully when he when he said it. But as I get older, I understand it, that business ventures come and go. They start, they stop. I've started businesses. I've sold businesses. But the one thing that has stayed with me that I've built on is wisdom that has come from experiences, but relationships. And I now understand more and more what my great-grandfather was trying to tell me, which was, it's fine to invest in your work, it's fine to invest in your business, but where you really need to invest is the relationships that you have, because those will transcend any of your different ventures or work activities and specifically investing in your family. 
which is ultimately the the most important relationships that we'll carry forward through our life. So that's just a little example and glimpse. I mean, to be candid with you, I could spend the rest of the show talking about lessons I learned from my great grandfather, my grandfather, and my father. And so, but those were those were just a few of the lessons that really come to mind. What a privilege! As you know, we we have access to many leaders, uh, you and I, in the world we live in. But hearing this story is very, very uh, uplifting to me. And and I'm totally with you, Mark. I mean, relationships I think are more important. I always tell people uh, they're more important than a transaction. A transaction is just something that'll that'll come and go. You know, just exactly like your great-grandfather said and your grandfather said. I wanted to ask you, you know, today you're a very sought-after speaker and you do a lot of speaking and stuff. Can you share for us a little bit about what you do today and how you're, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, share uh, your life lessons? I get asked to speak on a variety of different topics. Uh, Oftentimes I'll get asked to speak on business-related topics, but... I started sharing a little philosophy that I had about family, and that is that I had started to achieve quite a bit of success in business, but I realized that I wasn't having that same success at home, and that really bothered me. How could I make a hundred decisions at work and you know with confidence and clarity, but I would struggle with the first decision at home? And I decided that I needed to really figure that out. And so I did figure that out. I really switched everything on its head and decided that the most viable business in the world that I will ever own, operate, manage, or be associated with was the business I was coming home to, not the business I was going to. And that was the business of family. And I started to share in my speeches that, you know, that I was the CEO of the most valuable family business in the world. And I would speak about this business of my family as though it was a, you know, literally from a bottom line perspective, from a sales, from a uh, monetization, from an enterprise value perspective. And people thought I was talking about, you know, a traditional business when in reality I was talking about the business of my family and I was justifying how it was the most valuable business in the world. Well, I would go on to speak for another 50 minutes. I would only spend about five minutes talking about my family. But afterwards, people would line up to speak to me, and none of them wanted to speak to me about my marketing genius or my sales wisdom. They all wanted to speak to me about what I shared about my family. And that's when I realized that there are lots of people that can speak about business. There are lots of people that can speak about marketing, but there are very few people that can stand up in front of a group and speak about the most valuable business in the world that we all have the opportunity to be the CEO of, and that's our family. And so now I speak a lot, and that's the topic that I actually get asked to speak on is family, and specifically my take on how your family is the most valuable business in the world and what it means to to manage it, to lead it, and what dynamics that can create inside your family and what outcome it can have. Because when I made this shift a few years ago, it was about five years ago, to you know treating my business at, or my family as the most viable business, the impact has not just been on me and my wife, but it's been on my kids. My kids will tell you that I am a radically different father and our family is very different than it was five years ago as well. And it simply was an entrepreneurial shift that I made. And so so that's actually the topic that I speak on most today 
is the idea of your family and its value and how you can take everything you've learned in business and apply it back home. That's uh, that's a very unique concept uh, for the world of business. As you know, you spend a lot of time with business leaders and uh, it's uh, wonderful that you're actually able to bring the very personal side of what all of us should do in in uh, in uh, you know inculcating those those leadership values starting with our own family and talking about that you've got a wonderful family and uh, the future as we know is we are developing some of the millennial leaders what are your observations as you see some of these young millennial leaders grow up and you know what are some of the unique leadership traits that you think they have that we don't have or things that we need to be focused more on as we sort of develop some of them. Well, I can tell you this. I've got my oldest son is right on the edge of the millennial uh, generation. And, you know, and so I've spent a lot of time, you know, looking at and researching millennials. And as a result of that, I actually structured one of my companies to be a a, a perfect, if you will, I, I tried to evolve it to the point where it was very attractive to millennials. And so we now have out of 50 employees, we've got uh, two thirds of them are millennials. And so it was very intentional by design for that one company. And so I learned a lot about it. And one of the things that I learned through that whole process is, and that I really appreciate about millennials is they, they think, you know, they research. You know, I, I grew up, my, you know, philosophy was ready, fire, aim. And it was as fast as I could make decisions. And I knew I would make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, and so and then I would, you know, learn from that and evolve. And I, I really define myself more in that way versus. But what happens is, is that you don't just make mistakes in business. You make a lot of mistakes in life as well. And so what I appreciate about the millennials today is, is that they're willing to put research in. They're not afraid to research. They're not afraid to think about it. They're not afraid to say no until they've gathered enough data so that that can become a yes. And I really respect that and appreciate that. And I actually feel like I was having a conversation with my daughter, my oldest daughter today, about how you know I believe that her generation is going to turn the tide on divorce rates. And she's like, why? And I said, because you guys spend a lot of time thinking and you spend a lot of time researching and you're not afraid to take things slower than my generation. And I said, that's going to pay off, you know, uh, in a lot of different ways. And one way I predict it'll pay off is the quality of relationships that you have and the, the longevity of those relationships. And of course, she smiled because that was a great thought for her to have because, you know, obviously, you know, the relationship, particularly her generation, she, she didn't have any of her friends that didn't have divorced parents, not a single one. And so the idea of growing up that way was not attractive for her, but yet she's looking at it saying, wow, you know, there's hope. And it's because of the way they think and I love that. One of the other observations that I've made is that, you know, in the company that we've positioned to be very largely around millennials is we create a very comfortable work environment where there's some flexibility, but there's a greater good. We're always looking for how can our company serve a greater good? They want to be a part of a company that not only gives them a paycheck, but it's making a difference in the world. 
And if they're not making a difference in the world, my oldest son was saying he, he loved the job. He had a job and he loved the job. But he said, I just don't feel like I'm making a difference. I'd rather make less money and know that I'm making a difference in the world than make more money over here. And, you know, in the end of the day, he was willing to trade, you know, the a, a job that he liked and money that was good for a job that he felt like he was making a difference. And I think that's a trait that a lot of millennials have as well. So if you can position a company to where you reward someone who's willing to put thought and research into it and a company that really does make a difference in the world, I think you'll attract millennials. And here's the coolest thing. The other thing that I want to say is, is that when what I love about millennials too is if, if they find something that's good because they grew up in social media, they'll invite all their friends to it. We haven't had to, we haven't had to advertise for a position in that company in a long time because we just put a whisper out that we're hiring and they go find their friends and bring them to the interviews and and it's it's already kind of pre you know uh, they they sell them on why to come to work for that company and so I love that about millennials too is that they they recruit you know, when they've bought into something. So I know that was a lot, but I'm pretty passionate about millennials and about the generation coming up. I'm obviously raising some of them, so there's a good reason for me to be passionate about <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're, you're getting firsthand practical experience, but more importantly, the observation and the insights that you're making on, on uh, millennials is just uh, something... Clearly, our audience would want to hear, but more importantly, to know that you're actually creating companies focused around the the value system and the the, the unique attributes that you see in these millennials. Uh, very much appreciate your uh, sharing your thoughts, Mark. I want to say that before I did that, we had a lot of millennials come and go. They would come and we would think they're going to be the best employee ever and they would leave within three months. And we realized that if we were going to attract young talent, millennial talent, we had to adjust. And and we did. And as a result, it really has we, we've really seen huge um, dividend and upside, you know, from making that adjustment. So it's worth it. I uh, as we progress along, I'd be very curious to learn from your continued uh, leadership style with this company that you're focused on and how it's doing with with uh, all these millennials uh, that you have. Thank you again for sharing that. Uh, you know, Mark, leadership really starts uh, with foundational morals and values. And would you be able to share a little bit about what those mean to you and how you practice those in your um, leadership style naturally? I talk to, you know, my kids. I talk to my, my managers and my uh, employees that, you know, most of what we need to do as a leader is trust. And trust is actually, I, I define it as a equation and it's a mathematical equation and it's behavior over time equals trust. And it's consistent behavior over a, a consistent amount of time equals trust. And that behavior gets to the moral equation of what I'm talking, of what you asked me in the question, because if your behavior as a leader is not underpinned by that moral integrity, then, you know, you're only as good as, you know, as that moment. The only, you know, leader can only really build his foundation on solid rock, if you will, on solid ground. And that ground, in my opinion, needs to be morally, you know, strong and needs to be filled with integrity. And one of the biggest things, and it's not, 
it, it's, I say all of this and sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, what is he talking about? So let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about simple things like when I'm coaching managers and other leaders and even CEOs that have come to me and said, how have you done what you've done? How do you do what you do? You know, I, I say it's really pretty simple. And, you know, what I mean by simple is I say, well, first and foremost, number one, do what you say you're going to do. And they look at me like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, it's it's pretty simple, isn't it? Do what you say you're going to do. And, you know, the fact is, is that that's not as simple for a lot of leaders because they say, you know, they'll say they'll do something and they get upset when their staff shows up late, but yet they show up late. And so they say, I'm going to be there at this time and I'm not, or I'm going to call you back and I don't. And so, and that's, they don't realize that that behavior starts to define a trust factor. And as soon as there's not trust, there's no ability to really lead. And so when I say, when I underpin you know, and say the kind of the values that I have, it's, it's tell the truth. It's do what you say you're going to do. And the other thing in this is, again, I, I, I don't have these radically, you know, uh, futuristic concepts here. For me, it's do what you say you're going to do. And then number two, it's find the best in others. We could all sit down and we could look at the people around us that work for us and we could fill a piece of paper up with everything that's going wrong or everything they've done wrong or everything that you don't like about that person. But we could also sit down and fill a piece of paper with everything that they do right and everything we like about that person. So we have an equal amount of data that we can choose to react to as a leader. The question is, which one do we choose to pull from? And so I think my moral underpinning is to find the good in other people and build on that and pour gas on that, encourage that versus being critical all the time and, you know, and, and knocking someone down. And so, you know, so I feel like as a leader, if I do what I say I'm going to do, if I find the best, you know, in other people, then I'm going to get good results and I do get good results. And it's really that simple for me. And because of that, the people who work for me trust me. And because they trust me, then I can trust them and I don't have to manage them so tightly. You know, I don't have to do a bunch of reviews and quarterly reviews and monthly reviews because they trust me and I trust them. So they're harder on themselves oftentimes than I would ever be on them. I've had many times a manager come in that screwed up and made a big mistake and they just said, just yell at me. And it's not my style. I don't do that. I, I find what they learn from it and I inspire them not to make that mistake again. And so, so I, I guess, I don't know if I fully answered your question, but I know that that the the moral underpinnings of me is is to do what you say you're going to do and find the best in everybody around you. No, you you absolutely answered it uh, years ago, decades ago. A sage mentor of mine said it. He said you have to, you know, when we talk about heart first philosophies, you really have to go to that core value, trust, moral system, you know, and and really eat things out of those that core that we all sort of naturally have. 
and have grown up with and you've got a you know incredible heritage of having uh, you know your father grandfather and great grandfather that you could observe and learn from but uh, you know for all of us we have our parents and we have people outside our parents growing up having a value and moral system uh, that's very strong that we can take convictions from becomes very important as you know mark in the, in the world of leadership so thank you for sharing that clearly we're talking a little bit about leadership style as we were uh, morphing out of the last uh, last conversation what would you say your leadership style is you know uh, clearly you're uh, uh, you're in many leadership positions. Can you expand a little bit on that for us? Well, you know, sometimes I wish that you could ask the people around me. You know, I, I would love uh, I would love for them to answer this question. Uh, but I would say based on, you know, the feedback that I've gotten from uh, my staff, from my family, you know, is that, uh, you know, my my leadership style is people first. And I love, uh, you know, I really, and, and I know this may be a little bit cliche, you know, but I really do look at the people who work for me as an extended family. And, you know, and, and I love my family and I love them so much. And, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm connected with them. But as an extended family, you know, I look at my, my staff and, and the people who work for me as an extended family. And therefore, it's important for me to know their names. And it, it's really frustrating to me when, you know, I've got a lot of uh, staff and I've got a lot of different companies. And it's important for me to know um, their name and to know about, you know, their family situation. And, you know, when you put people first, you know, then, you know, that's, that's the right place to be. And, and I try, I put people ahead of profits. And it's just it's just who I am. And it I've done it, you know, intuitively. Maybe it came from my grandparents and that relationship. You know, my great grandfather said, put the relationships first. Those are the real assets. And I I think I've done that in my work environment, you know, because when I need something, they'll step up because, you know, we've got that connected relationship. And so uh, so I would say, you know, my leadership style is people first and it's really people over profits. But the irony in that is that I actually think by putting people over profits, your people will generate profits beyond your ability to comprehend as a leader because you don't have to manage them as closely because they'll manage themselves. They'll bring their best ideas to the table because they feel appreciated and you know they're not always looking for somewhere else to go. One of my companies that I have, you know, we, we, we recently – had an acquisition and I started that company 20 years ago and through that whole process I realized that three of the first five employees were still there and the other two retired from the company and it was because you know they loved working there and we had a personal relationship they felt connected to me and and the mission of what we were trying to accomplish and so um, so that's my style is people before profits and if you get that right I think the people will generate profits beyond your expectation or beyond your own ability if you had it the other way around. Funny, I was interviewing another good friend and and a guest on the show um, last week, and he's also a very senior executive of a public company, and, and he uh, said exactly the same thing you did, Mark, which is, he said, you know, uh, when I look at my team, I say, the team has to come first. I've got to treat them like I treat myself. 
And I think, uh, you know, there's few leaders, uh, as you know, the world of business these days is becoming more competitive and challenged. And uh, leadership is getting challenged as a result. It's very refreshing to hear somebody like you talk about the core importance of uh, of people, uh, you know, and what it means to really treat them with respect, love, and uh, give them the the canvas that they can paint on. We've talked a lot about leadership. One last question around the leadership, and we'll sort of, uh, you know, morph into some other things. What are some of the things you've learned as a leader on what not to do? As you know, it's very important to to not do some things as a leader. And I'm sure, uh, you know, this journey that you've had, incredible journey from starting in childhood uh, all the way to now, uh, you've learned some lessons there. Would you share with us a little bit? Here's something, a couple things that I've learned. These are things what not to do. So I'm going to tell you one thing that I think leaders make the mistake is when you get put in a position of leadership and there are other people following you, one of the biggest mistakes that leaders make, particularly a young leader, is they take responsibility for the success of others. So what I mean is, is that the leader is quick to take the praise for the results of the team. They're quick to take the idea that came from the team and represent it as their own. And I feel like, you know, I'm positive, and I'll be the first to admit I made this mistake as a young leader. It takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of courage as a leader to not do that because you think that you have to represent the success of your team is your success in order to get noticed by your superiors. But that's actually counterintuitive is to say, no, the best thing you can do is to celebrate the success of your team as the success of your team and collaborate as the team. And especially if someone has the idea, give them credit for the idea because all it will do is encourage them to give more ideas. And then you get seen as not, oh my gosh, you had success as a leader, but you had the best thing you can ever do in your rise as a leader is be seen as a guy who develops other leaders. And if you take all the ideas and represent them as yourself or take the success of your team, you'll get some kudos from people above you, but you won't be seen as a guy who develops leaders. And you get identified as someone who develops leaders and you'll go, you'll have a rocket tied to your back because you'll ascend up to the top of the company because the company is looking for not just people to do their job well, but someone who will build leaders. And those are the ones that go up the company ladder the fastest. But it's so counterintuitive. It's such a hard concept for young leaders to get. But wow, is it powerful if they can see the value in celebrating the success as a team and certainly celebrating the success as a uh, as someone who, you know, identifies someone who had a good idea or brings a great idea to the table. So that's number one. Number two is apologize and take ownership for your own mistakes. And that's another thing that a lot of young leaders, you know, don't they they take the success of the team and represent it as their own. But they're quick to pass their own mistakes off as a failure of the whole team. You see how that works? You know, it's like it's like totally opposite of the way it should be done. You should you should represent the success of the team as the team's success, and you're blessed to be the leader. 
and you should take responsibility for the team's failure yourself and and take ownership for your mistake and your role in leading that effort. And so those are just two things that I think that you shouldn't do as a leader, but they're really counterintuitive. They take a lot of maturity and wisdom to understand, but if you grasp them, wow, that is like that that like frees you as a leader to really become all that you are capable of being. That's um, so very true that you know the core of uh, good humility and leadership starts with acknowledging and and being more you know introspective of making sure that you you know you're very self-aware of what you've done and what you've not right so thank you mark and you know just moving on a little bit into the world of technology uh, we've sort of grown up with uh, some technology and we've sort of moved into the world of very fast-paced innovation so here we are uh, you know technology has been an enabler in many different businesses and I'm sure you've seen that in your business too but it's also disaggregated labor pools uh, uber is a good example people were very worried when uber came on to say what's going to happen to the world of transportation and it's still around um, but there's a whole basis of retooling and reinvention that people have to go through and those of us who are in the world of leadership need to encourage that as we sort of lead these organizations what do you see uh, in this future of technology that you're embracing and some of it's being thrown at us fast and how do you see that playing out in an individual's life and how do you encourage as a leader that individual well that's a that's a loaded question. Let me embrace it uh, the best that I can and especially talking to somebody, I want to go on record and make sure that you understand, you know, that where I'm at at 25 years old was when I got my first cell phone. So I didn't have a cell phone until, you know, I was I was in my mid 20s. So I I spent the first, you know, half of my life with really no no computer, no cell phone. And, you know, and so very little, you know, access to a computer. I didn't own a computer until after I graduated from from college. And so, you know, so technology has really happened a lot since I, you know, was past those early, you know, where where my kids have known nothing but technology. So what I'm getting at is that technology is one of those things where it can be our greatest crutch or one of our greatest, you know, catapults. And it just depends on our mindset. And so when I talk to people about technology, I can't tell you what technology we're going to be relying on in five years, but I can tell you it's not what we are today. That I know because the pace at which technology is evolving is so fast that, you know, that I, I know it's going to continue to evolve even faster. I think it's Moore's Law says we're, you know, we're doubling our technology, you know, output every two years. So therefore, it, it's, it's expanding at a pace that we can barely keep up with. So the advice that I give to myself, and I've finally given myself, is for, for a number of years, I would resist technology and say, oh, I'm just not going to do that. I remember so many of my friends said, I'll never have a Facebook page. And, you know, I'm, that's not me. That's I'm not going to be involved in that. I'm not going to take place in that. And now they all have Facebook pages and they use it to keep track of their kids or, or their grandkids or, or to communicate with others or their their high school classmates or their work, whatever it is. 
but they were quick to put up their hand. And I was one of those people that really resisted a lot of the technology involvement as well and just said, I'm doing well with where I'm at. Why do I need to go this direction? Well, now I've shifted and said, wait a minute. Technology is moving so fast that quickly it can become a crutch and hold us back or it can become a catapult. So what I tell people is, is that, you know, learn how to embrace the technology, develop a mindset, an exponential mindset that says, all right, I accept the fact that technology is part of my life and it's going to continue to evolve and change. So I don't need to be an expert. I'm not an expert in any social media. I'm not an expert in web. I'm not an expert in phones. But what what I've done, Sadir, is I've said I'm going to embrace technology. I'm going to become proficient at learning and understanding technology, and then I'm going to research it and see which can best help me and how can I improve my efficiency, my productivity, how can I improve my relationships with that technology. And if it helps me, then... I'm able to embrace it. And so there's a, a word concept. It's not coming to me right now, but it's basically about somebody who doesn't become an expert in anything. They become an expert in just learning lots of things. And I feel like that's the mindset that I've developed in technology. I'm not an expert in any technology platform, and I can't tell you what the future of technology is. I just know that it's going to be important to me and my kids and my work Therefore, I need to be proficient in learning and researching and understanding technology so that I'm able to embrace it and apply it and I'm able to grow you know, from it. So I know that's not a specific answer in terms of, of what's coming next in technology, but I just don't know. But what I know is it's coming. It's probably coming faster than we realize and we need to be open to it so that we can evolve and just like Uber didn't you know get rid of all transportation jobs you know transportation is still there it has radically changed how we you know are how we treat transportation and how we get from place a to b uh, you know in a lot of circumstances and so we've adjusted and we've adapted and i think that's mostly what i'm getting at is that we need to have a mindset of adaptation we need to be able to evolve and adapt very quickly to technology, and I think that's going to be the most important thing, is not predicting technology, but adapting to it. I understand totally that you're not a diehard technologist, but you know your observations are absolutely spot on, that we need to, we need to embrace the learning element of it, because we do know that a lot of disruption in technology can, can come and also hit us fast, but uh, being more perceptive about it. So, you know, as we start wrapping up here, I have a couple of questions for you. And uh, let me start off with this one, which is, you know, when you meet someone, what is the one thing that you hope to instill or lead them with? You know, at this stage in life, uh, looking at the entrepreneurs that I interact with, Sadir, most all of them fit a similar criteria, which is uh, a lot of them are pretty successful. And they raise their hand and say, my family is the most important thing in my life. But when I peel that onion back just a couple layers, I find out that their actions don't support that statement. They say their family is the most important thing in their life, but their actions don't support that statement. And so when I meet someone, I want to inspire them. I want to encourage them. I want to motivate them to actually live that statement. If they say my family is the most important thing in my life, I want them to be equipped with the encouragement, the motivation, and the inspiration to live that out. 
I firmly believe that if you're good at anything in life, you can be that good at home with your family, your wife, and your kids. If you've learned how to be a good coach to your kids' sports teams, you can be a great coach at home. If you've learned how to be a great entrepreneur that generates profits at in the workplace, you can generate profits at home, you know, that are eternal. And so, you know, so that's when, when someone meets me, I want to inspire them that they possibly, especially if they're an entrepreneur, may already own the most valuable business that they will ever be a part of, and it's their family. Mm. It's very well said, yes. You know, uh, what is the latest book you're reading? I'm sure you've had access to the best leaders in your journey of leadership, but, you know, books uh, play a big role in our life these days. And if you can share with us some insights from the latest book. I've got uh, several books that <laughs> that I'm um, reading at this point in time, but a few of them that, you know, right now I'm actually reading a friend of mine, Ben Hardy, wrote a book, Willpower Doesn't Work. That's a book that I'm reading this very second. I also just finished reading the book Exponential Organizations. So those are so one is one I just uh, finished, and one is one that I'm reading right now. But I'm an avid consumer of content, and I think that's one of the things that I would say is that if you're out there and you're not consuming content, if you're not getting it. And by the way, I'm going to be the first to let everybody that's that's listening to this, because you're listening to this, know that most of the books I consume, I consume by audio. And the reason why is because I can consume them at times that I'm, I can't normally be productive. I'm, I travel a lot. So while I'm walking through the airport, I'm consuming a book. And I have the ability to consume it at about 1.5 pace. So I can actually crank it up and I can get through that book. I can slow it down. I can go and and I sometimes will go and buy the physical book after I've listened to it because I liked it so well and I go back and consume it even more. But I consume a lot of my content by audio because it just it helps me, you know, to really get it at times that I couldn't get, you know, otherwise. That the future of books, uh, as we all know, for those of us who like to read a lot, I'm very much like you. I like to read multiple books uh, simultaneously, but it is clearly audio, you know, and that maximizes the time, space, capability that we have. We have only still 24 hours, and we're not going to be inventing more time. So, but uh, it's good to hear you say that, especially with the busy schedules you maintain. The last question, it's it's an important one because I think. You've had quite a, a incredible journey in your life in general, but just in the world of leadership and even having access to the best of the best uh, with Mr. Zig Ziglar, who I followed uh, in my early days of leadership a lot and learned a lot from just reading through some of his uh, inspirational uh, you know, uh, books. I want to ask you, what is the epitaph you would want people to remember you by? Please share with us in the audience what you would want people to remember you by. Wow. I guess I should have had more, you know, thought as to somebody asking me this question. And so, but I'm just going to give right off my heart and and tell you what comes to my mind when you ask me that question. And what comes to my mind is three things. He loved, he led, and he lived. And when I think about that, Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna rearrange the order of that. And so because I, I was thinking about this and 
you know, and I think I think I would actually say as a family, you know, we've we've actually talked about some of these things. I've asked my kids these questions, too. And I would say he loved, he lived and he led. And the reason I would put him in that order is because uh, I think the foundational element of our relationships and, you know, I'm a spiritual guy. And so, you know, so loving God is at the foremost of before even the relationships I have with my family and others. And so love is important. And, you know, even, you know, at, at home, if, if our children don't feel loved, it's hard to have a relationship with them. And if we don't feel loved, it's hard to have a relationship. And so I think he loved is first and foremost for me. And he lived to me, what that means and that statement is all the things that we talked about earlier, meaning character. He lived right. He lived with integrity. He really lived. He did what he said he was going to do. He put other people first. So when I say he lived, that's what I'm talking about. He lived with that moral code that we were talking about earlier. So he loved, he lived, and then he led means that you you took you take everything that that all the blessings you've been given and then you share it with other people and you lead other people and so that's why i think i would i would use those three words and i would put them in that order for those reasons because i think we we need to love and feel loved we need to live and live with that moral code we need to live right we need to live you know with integrity and then we need to, if, if we've been loved and we are loved and we're living right, then it's our duty and responsibility. I think we weren't put on this earth to be alone and we weren't put on this earth to just keep all of our blessings to ourselves. And so therefore, we need to lead and we need to lead according to the gifts and abilities that we've been given. So those, that's my take on, on that. And so on my epitaph, if, if it can say he loved, he lived and he led, then I think I would be content with that. Thank you, uh, Mark. This was very inspirational and insightful for me. And I'll probably be reflecting on this conversation for a long time. And I hope our audience will do too. And I'm very grateful to you for coming on to the show, sharing your thoughts, your heart first philosophies, your life. I uh, very much appreciate you, Mark. Thank you again. I appreciate you and all the work you're doing and the difference that you're making. And thank you for being an example for so many of us as well. Final thoughts from your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Sudhir, Mark Tim has a storyline as a teenager that we're hearing over and over that things happened in their teenage years to where they realized that they're good at leadership. And this happened with him, and it set him on a path, like the others, towards success by using the things that they learned as a teenager. You're absolutely um, spot on. I mean, if you look at Kevin's and some of the others, um, that theme is, is very common to uh, realizing that it's such an impactful age. And if you have a curious mind, you start applying it. And Mark was a very good example of that. You know, teenagers brought him into the Future Farmers of America organization, led him very quickly into the White House, into a leadership position, leading into that organization. But it started very early with observation of what was going on in the family and how he could apply that value system back. The biggest takeaway, the stunning statement that he made that should be obvious if you just look around, he said it. 
and I had to agree with it, was that your most valuable creation is your family. It's not some corporation that you've managed, created, sold, or whatever, but it is your family. And I'll extend that to not just your family, but your extended family, your friends, your longtime friends. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. This one, we've had a lot of leaders now on the show, uh, done a lot of these recordings, and uh, Mark has uh, shared some incredibly valuable insights that all of us as leaders should reflect on and think more about and spend more time about. That investment starting very early on in the family and your extended family circle allows you to sort of develop relationships. Relationships, what I call over transactions. You know, we've become too transactory in the world we live in. And, uh, you know, we need to spend more time developing relations. I've not known you that long. I've known you just this year. But I know you through someone I've known for about three decades who has been someone I've kept in touch with and done things with successfully. Some of the best things in my life as far as inspirations that led to success for me were from this person who introduced me to you, which says a lot. And it just compounds in my mind the value of friendships and family. You couldn't have said it better. You know, I, I try to live and prioritize that at the forefront of what I do when I wake up, starting with my family. I think it's so important. Mark brings it out very, very, very nicely. When you say you're the CEO of multiple businesses, Mark, he says, no, I started with this being the CEO of my family. Leadership, I think, when you start looking at all the common themes of value systems and those core values, Mark talks a lot about it too, like the other leaders. It's really important, I think, to realize that you have to practice these and you got to start with your family. This is a very fascinating show that I thought took a very interesting turn, very different and highly personalized into what God means in your life, what family means in your life, and how you really practice that to create success in businesses. Mark was extremely successful, as, as we all know, having built multiple businesses. Oh, and he all cracked that. the code. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> 